Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Music for a Book podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Britt. And I'm Hannah. And every two weeks, we read and review a book, assign a song to it, and have some fun along the way. So welcome back. Yes, welcome. So for our fifth book, we read Book Lovers by Emily Henry. So for this episode here, we will go over the book synopsis, trigger warnings, uh, we will reveal our song choices, and then after that, be warned, it will be a spoiler zone. So if you want to read the book, I recommend pausing and coming back after you read it because we will not hold back and we will spoil the ending for you. Absolutely. And all the juicy details. Dear reader. So for this book, there's only a few content warnings that we want to tell you about. It does go over some grief, death of a parent, sexual content in it, and then there's a pregnancy. So nothing, honestly, I feel like those have been about a mile long. So this one was very tame Mm -hmm. in comparison. (laughs) So book lovers, I'm just going to go over a general synopsis. And so... Nora Stevens, her life is books. She's read all of them. She's not that type of heroine. She's not the plucky one, not the laid back dream girl, and especially not the sweetheart. In fact, the only people Nora is a heroine for are her clients for whom she lands enormous deals as a cutthroat literary agent and her beloved little sister, Libby. Which is why she agrees to go to Sunshine Falls, North Carolina for the month of August when Libby begs her for a sister's trip away with visions of a small town transformation for Nora, who's convinced that she needs to become the heroine in her own story. But instead of picnics in the meadows or run-ins with a handsome country doctor or a bulging forearmed bartender, Nora keeps bumping into Charlie Lastra, a bookish brooding editor from back in the city. It would be a meet cute if not for the fact that they've already met many times and it's never been cute. If Nora knows she's not the ideal heroine, Charlie knows he's nobody's hero. But as they are thrown together again and again in a series of coincidences no editor worth their salt would allow, What they discover might just unravel the carefully crafted stories that they've written about themselves. I'm so glad I didn't read that before I went in. Me too. I've been trying to go in blind to these books, but like, why do the synopsis give away so much information? So much. So much. I mean, this isn't really a spoiler, but like Nora in this book, you know, when she reads a book, she like reads the last page of it. And I feel like it's the same thing as like reading the back cover. Like, nah, just... yeah. Judge a book by its cover. Pick it out. Looks cute. True. It probably is cute to read. <laughs> I will say, before we even get into this, though, like, again, not a spoiler, but I did that as a kid. I would read the last page of a book. Really? And decide if I wanted to read it. And I had to force myself out of the habit because I obviously ruined things for myself. But there was something about knowing, like, what happens at the last page and then the excitement of wanting to get there. I stopped doing that, but I absolutely did that as a kid and a teenager, 100%. <laughs> Interesting. Fun fact about you. Fun fact. So are we ready to reveal our song choices? Yes. I Beautiful. I went rogue this time, so. Ooh. I'm glad that you went rogue. I love that. Okay. I really really wanted to pick a harry styles song because it's been a minute and we've done a lot of taylor so i naturally ended up picking daylight by taylor swift (laughs) love it i love it i'm excited to hear about that but i i feel it 
Yeah. I feel like that would be definitely on Nora's uh, Peloton playlist, her cool down song. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so I did pick a Harry Styles song. Love that. I mean, it's one of my f- favorite, favorite, favorite songs. Um, and it instantly mm-hmm. came to mind. Carolina by Harry Styles. I love that. I love that so much. Yes. I'm excited to hear about that. Those are our song choices, and I'm very excited to hear about that as we get into the book. So we have reached the point of the podcast where if you do not want spoilers, if you do not want to know more about book lovers before you get the chance to read, listen, whatever, book lovers, please exit out of the podcast now because you are no longer safe moving forward. Yes, we will tell you all about this lovely story of Nora and Charlie and like I said, all the juicy details. So if you want to listen, you know, and just gossip along with us and not read, go ahead. Otherwise, I would recommend pausing and coming back once you've read. Yep. So here we go. All right. So the book starts off with a prologue. We love a good prologue. And in this prologue, we get introduced to Nora. It starts off just basically saying, you know, books are her life. You know, you just kind of learn to expect what comes out of a book, right? Like the husband's a killer, nerd gets a makeover, and without her glasses, you know, she's smoking hot. The guy gets the girl. We know what's going to happen, right, book after book. And the details may change, but, you know, there's really nothing new or exciting that she sees when she reads books. So she talks about kind of, you know, the cliche like Hallmark movie story, right? Like, you know, city person goes to a small town, falls in love and has to go back and tell their um, their city partner that they, you know, are no longer in love. And it, Nora says that she is that partner, that she is the one that's in the city You know, her boyfriend goes away, falls in love with somebody, and so she's the one that gets left behind. Um, And she's the uptight city person, loves her Peloton, loves her schedule. We kind of get a glimpse into what Nora's life is like. So Nora is a literary agent, and she's on her way to a meeting with an editor. On the way there, we do get a call that comes in from someone named Grant, you know, um, perhaps the same small town romance story seems to repeat itself. History is absolutely repeating itself for Nora. So on her way to this meeting, Grant breaks up with her over the phone, basically says, I'm not coming back. Things have changed in the past week. Ugh, you know, I've changed. And so, you know, she asks the, the question, like, is she a baker? Is she a baker? Because we all know the Hallmark, the Lifetime, the the small town romance. And so she ends up running late because of this to the meeting. Finally, they, they hang up after they break up. And the one thing that Grant says that I noted was when Nora said, I've got to go. And he said, of course you do. Which kind of implies the poor communication that her job is her entire life. And she says... It's just more proof that I am a frigid evil robot who sleeps in a bed of $100 bills and raw diamonds, if only. After this whole thing happens, she's obviously distressed and distraught, and she goes in to meet Charlie Lastra, the editor. And I just love how, like, Charlie's described right here. You know, she's like, you know, it's late in the day for lunch, so the crowd is thin, and she spots Charlie Lastra near the back, dressed in all black, like publishing's own metropolitan vampire. Yes. I love her descriptions and like her internal like dialogue and commentary. I did I did laugh out loud quite a few times mm-hmm. with this book. This one definitely made me laugh. 
So she ends up heading up to Charlie and she's like, this man is scowling. He could be pouting, but he definitely looks like he's scowling. (laughs) He glances down at his watch and basically is like, hey, you're like, you're late. She admits immediately. She's like, I know. Thank you for waiting for me. I really appreciate it. My train got stopped. And she's like, this man probably doesn't take the subway. He probably goes everywhere on like a limo. He doesn't know what I'm talking He doesn't know about a train stopping. I like that she says like, she says either a shiny black limo <laughs> or a gothic carriage pulled by a team of Clydesdales. <laughs> yes. I just feel like that like, it puts Charlie in such like a, you know, I don't know. Like a moody, like Edward Cullen, like just like, you know. A (laughs) hundred percent. I love it. And so she sits down, she tries to smooth things over. She's obviously very good with people. Like as a literary agent, she can kind of smooth things over. So she asks if they've ordered and he says no. But she's like, listen, there's a goat cheese salad. It's phenomenal. Let's just go ahead and get that. Picks up her menu. Everything's good. And then all of a sudden... Charlie says, before we go any further, I should just tell you, I found Fielding's new book unreadable. And their first meet ends up just going downhill from there. Yeah. And she's like, you know, if he wanted to reject it, he could have just sent an email. So why did he, you know, have lunch and wanted to like say in person like that it's unreadable? This is for an author that... Nora represents Dusty Fieldings, who has multiple published works. All, all of them have been pretty fantastic, even though none of them have really sold super well. But Nora fully believes in her. And so Charlie is basically like, well, I feel like it, it wasn't that great. Like, I think her best is this other one. Nora's defending her client. She's like, this book is every bit as good. It's just a little bit different. So they kind of go back and forth. We kind of feel, I feel like you can immediately feel like the hate tension. Mm -hmm. It's like immediate. She describes Charlie's eyes as unsettling and owlish. Like, I mean, could this man be any more? Just the way that he's described, you're like, straight up, just ew. What is he doing? Who is this man? Yeah, just like, why is he there? Why is he like even like giving her the time of day? Like, he just yeah. seems like he has, like, better things to do. So they go back and forth, and, you know, we're like, what the heck is up with this Charlie dude? And she says that, you know, he also has a reputation for having, like, the magic touch and everything. Like, he does edit, like, turns to gold. Like, he knows how to pick the winner, like, a winner when it comes to books. Mm-hmm. That, but she also says that people refer to him as the storm cloud, too. That he just, like, you know, doesn't have that, like, sunshine energy at all. Like, he makes it rain money, but at, like, what cost, right? So the book that Charlie says that is unreadable, it's called Once in a Lifetime. So it's, you know, Nora's, like, very adamant that, like, this is going to be, like, a big seller for Dusty, her author. Charlie is, like, just very much, like, no matter how, you know, contrived you found it, like, Sunshine Falls is not like that. Like, it's a real place, but the way that it's described in this book is not accurate, it's revealed that like he just really disliked the setting like that. It's just not not a thing. Yep. Nora starts to get kind of angry and she's like, so how about you just tell me what kind of books you do want? Like, just tell me what you do want rather than what you don't. And we can like cut out the middle here. She describes him as a jungle cat toying with its prey and kind of going back and forth. And basically he's like, I want 
the original Dusty Fieldings. I want her early work. I want this. And Nora's like, that book didn't sell. And he's like, because her publisher didn't know how to sell it, I could sell it. And this like air of arrogance kind of comes through. Like he's described as having the Midas touch. Um, like Hannah said, everything that he touches turns to gold. And so they like pause to order. He, of course, orders the goat cheese salad. And she's like incredulous over this. She's like, this man did not just order the salad that I want. <laughs> and then with the goat cheese salad, they order, they both order a gin martini as well. Just their little matching lunches. And so they kind of commiserate for a moment at the end to almost like a truce where they're like, we've both had terrible days. Let's just move on with it. She kind of asked, she's like, you really didn't like the setting. And he said, I can hardly imagine anywhere I'd less enjoy spending 400 pages. <laughs> Nora quips, you're every bit as pleasant as I was told you would be. And they kind of go from there. So later that night, an email comes through from Charlie and it just says, hi, Nora, feel free to keep me in mind for Dusty's future projects charlie she comments that his email has no niceties it's just straight into the point so she sends one back he emails her back again and they kind of go back and forth and nora's like i will have the last word with this man so she just writes night good night is not what she meant she just meant night and instead of that being the last word charlie says best and she said no no so she just writes back with an x and she gets no reply. She has the final word. And she says, after a day from hell, this small victory makes me feel like all is right in the world. And that is the introduction to Nora and Charlie. Yep. And then, so the book starts and we are fast forwarding two years later. When we start out two years later, we're met with Nora and her sister Libby. And Libby is currently five months pregnant. They're walking around New York and it is hot it is disgusting and when they're talking Nora's miserable and Libby goes how does a person get dumped in a full lifestyle swap three times so we know that Nora got dumped again for a small town romance situation where she's the one who's left in the city and the guy goes off and finds his forever wife in these charming little small towns a baker all of these things Yep. So we're introduced to Libby. Nora talks about how like she got her mo their mom's height, but the rest of their features went to Libby. So like from her um, strawberry gold hair to her blue eyes and freckles, she says like she's, you know, her Meg Ryan to her Parker Posey, uh, Marianne to her Eleanor. And just that um, Libby is Nora's favorite person on the planet. Nora said, you know, she keeps like missing her calls. Like when, you know, she'll be in a meeting when Libby calls. And then when she gets out, like Libby's already asleep, like just different things. Like they have very different lifestyles, these sisters. So they're just really happy now to like go to dinner and go on this walk and just kind of be together. They go through and talk about like Nora's dating life and just how, you know, Libby just wants like the best for Nora. Oh, and as they're walking, you know, they're kind of joking back and forth. And one thing that I, I do love, and I kind of mentioned it before, I love Nora's sense of humor. I just connect really well with it. And Libby's like, serious is the nature of how you date. If someone makes it to the third dinner with you, then he's already met 450 separate criteria. And Nora's like, I do not know my date's blood types. All I need from them is a full credit report, a psych eval, and a blood oath. Like, that's it. It's super fine. You know, they're just joking, having their sisterly moment. 
when they pass by a bookstore called Freeman Books. She kind of recounts their past that they had there with their mom. They spent their a good part of their childhood living in the apartment above Freeman Books. We'll learn more about that kind of later as we go, but that was just something to note. But when they pass by, Libby freaks out because Dusty Fielding's new book, Once in a Lifetime, is in the front window and it has its new movie tie-in cover. So the book that Charlie Laster is like, this was unreadable, I hated it, is now a bestseller that's getting a feature film. Yeah, it's so popular. Right? And so basically she's like, take that, Charlie Laster. Even two years later, she's basically like, fuck you to this man who did not see the potential in this book like she did. Libby brings up that Nora always complains that like during the month of August publishing pretty much shuts down and that she has nothing to do. So Libby suggests that maybe they go somewhere, that they haven't gone somewhere together in a really long time. So Libby has two kids right now and pregnant with her third. So Nora questions like, uh, can you get away? Like, you know, you're a mom, you have all these responsibilities. And it's obvious Libby's already figured it out. She's like, yep, you know, Brendan's parents will help with the girls. And she just, I like when she says, and also I'm like three sleepless nights away from snapping and pulling a where'd you go Bernadette if not the full gone girl <laughs> she needs this <laughs> Libby's like yeah we need to go like let's go begs Nora to like go on this trip with her you know once Nora agrees because of course Nora's gonna say yes to everything her sister wants to do being the older sister that she is you know Libby's like all right good I already planned everything I already bought us the tickets but she's like are you aren't you gonna asks like where we're going or gonna see and Nora looks at the tickets and it says Asheville North Carolina Libby's you know so excited and says it's the airport closest to Sunshine Falls this is going to be a once in a lifetime trip so as we know as we remember right once in a lifetime Dusty's book takes place in Sunshine Falls so they are going to take their little bookish trip to the setting of this novel yeah this book is basically just filled Kind of like what it said in the synopsis, but every possible trope, every possible scenario, everything that could and should happen in a rom-com that you expect happens in this book. But I feel like it happens in a way that's so cute and funny and organic that it doesn't seem like it's overwhelming. Yeah, because it all it feels like like satire is not the right word, but it feels very like calculated yeah in a good way like it's like as a you know somebody that reads books and as a book lover myself like you can appreciate it like the way that these like tropes are placed in yeah that it's not like a cliche way like it's very much i don't know just written into the story very appreciatively yeah and i feel like nora almost breaks like what we would call on tv like the fourth wall i feel like her thoughts are directly related to us like as we're thinking and she's like oh great here I go again, a self-fulfilling prophecy of X, Y, and Z. So yep. it's just super cute. So we are immediately to chapter two. We are he we're on the plane. We are on our way to Sunshine Falls. Nora's still doing some work. Dusty's working on her next book. And she's doing what all good literary agents do, giving her some encouragement and also panicking that we need pages from her immediately <laughs> before we can get started because things have already been pushed back. And Libby is like, Listen, look at me. We're going to have fun. This is going to be fun. You're going to find a lumberjack. Everything's going to be amazing. Libby whips out a folder. And it is their life-changing vacation list. 
all of the things that they will accomplish at Sunshine Falls, check all of their boxes to enjoy the vacation in the best way. Yeah, because uh, Libby tells Nora, like, I know how much you love a good checklist. And Nora's like, yep, I do. Yep. (laughs) Like, Libby knows me. (laughs) Nora's a little confused. She's like, is something wrong? Like, is there something wrong with you? Because I'm the checklist girl, you are not. So what's what's happening? Yeah, she's like, you know, is this a bucket list? Like, is one of us dying? Like, what's the reason for this here, you know? Mm-hmm. Libby just shrugs it off, you know, like, oh, well, birth is kind of like a death. Like, I want to make sure, you know, we have a little time to ourselves and get to have this, like, experience. You know, Libby's just like, we're going to be transformed by the small town magic and just very hopeful that this is a life-changing vacation for the two of them. So she starts to kind of skim this list to see what she's about to get herself into for the next month with her sister. And there are just a couple of things on there. One is like, general makeover, in parentheses, let hair down slash get bangs, question mark. Number four, build something, literal, not figurative. It's just kind of, it's really funny to see the thought process there. And there's another one. It's like number 10, start a fire, controlled, controlled fire. (laughs) 11 is hike with several question marks. Like, is it worth it? Should we go on a hike? Nora starts wondering what she's getting into, but really relishing the fact that she is spending time with her sister, who is, like she said, her favorite person in the world. So she's going to do what she can to help keep Libby happy because that's her responsibility as the big sister. Yep. And so Nora is reading over this list and comes across number five on the list, which is go on at least two dates with locals. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, um, what? Libby's like, well, that one's not for me. As you recall, I'm married. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, Nora's response is just like, and I'm a career woman with a weekly housekeeping service and a spare bedroom I turned into a shoe closet and a Sephora credit card. I can't imagine my dream man is a lobster hunter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then they talk about like Nora's dating history again and how Nora has like very specific criteria and just like very picky with the guys she dates. And, you know, Libby's trying to get her to like loosen up a little bit more and try and find somebody in this little small town they're going with. There's a couple more on the list. They're getting ready, but there's a final line on the list and it's save a local business. And Nora's like, girly, you do realize we're only there for a month, right? Like only here for one month. She's like, they always save a local business in small town romances. We have no choice. I'm hoping for a down on its luck goat farm. Just again, playing into those tropes like, yeah, they're going to come in, save the family's bakery, make the greatest cupcakes known to man, find the baker of her dreams and live happily ever after. (laughs) So they talk about this and then um, they talk about and Nora brings up their mom. So this is kind of one of the other times that we learn a little bit more about their mom. Nora just says, you know, the reason why she likes checklists. So checklists keep things simple and just think about mom. And so their mom's described as, you know, somebody who just constantly falls in love and never with men who made any sense for her. So, you know, Nora living like growing up with that is like, I want to make sure that the men I'm dating make sense for me. And that's why she has these like checklists and these very specific things she looks for. And Libby kind of just reassures her like, you're nothing like mom. You know, it stings her a little bit because she is aware how little she takes after her mom. But 
she just really felt those shortcomings after their mom passed away. So just while she kind of had to take care of Libby, Libby saying that she's nothing like mom, like their mom is kind of like hurts her heart a little bit because she tried it so hard to be that mother figure for Libby once um, their mom passed away. Then they, uh, they're at Sunshine Falls and it is off to a very strange start where a man that looks like Santa Claus is driving them in a very erratic way with the windows down, screaming over the wind about Sunshine Falls and why in God's name they would go there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's like, you must have family there. They are thinking about like the dinky airport that they had. Their flight was the only arrival and yet it took forever for their luggage to arrive. Just... Little things that already Nora in the back of her head's like, dear God, why did I agree to this? And I'm sure Libby is just living her dreams of a small town fantasy. Mm-hmm. He's like, why else would you come here? And as they're driving down like a dirt road, she's like, surely we're in the wrong place. Surely this is not right. But sure enough, Goods Lily Cottage is just up and over a hill. And they're kind of in the middle of nowhere kind of in the middle of nowhere there's just grass and dirt road and that's it that's small town life small town life but you know once upon a lifetime really dazzled and made this place shine so they get out they're looking at this cottage that they've rented and they're kind of like this is the listing did say it wasn't wheelchair accessible but Nora goes did it also mention that we need a ski lift because there is a giant quote unquote staircase, but basically just like wood slats heading up a grassy hillside all the way up to the cottage. And the guy drops him off and is they're like, what do you mean we have to walk up this? We gotta take our shit up. And he's like, yeah, there's no other way. You gotta go. Like take your stuff and haul it up there. <laughs> basically he's like, here's your stuff. Here's a card if you need another ride, have at her. And they're left with a pregnant Libby and a slightly horrified Nora to carry their stuff up a giant hillside in the heat up into this cottage at a place that Nora does not want to be. But then as they they walk up and they start seeing this cottage a little bit better, it does hit her that it is actually like out of a storybook and not just any storybook, but like out of once in a lifetime. It's charming. It's quaint. And it's perfect. So they start to settle in the cottage and then they decide to check out downtown. Little downtown Sunshine Falls. You know, Nora notices that like, like Britt said, it's like Dusty described like on the outside. But then she like peeks into some of these like businesses and there's really nothing like glamorous small town that really the book kind of put together. And so, you know, naturally, Nora, you know, the city person is like, ooh, perfect, coffee shop. So the local coffee shop in in town is called Mug and Shot. And so she peeks through the glass door as a man swings open the door and almost hits her. And then this guy is like a Greek god. You know, she says he's just like (laughs) one of the most gorgeous men she's ever seen. You know, he has golden blonde hair, a square jaw, a beard that's rugged without being unruly. He's brawny, just very much like a, she describes him as like almost being on like the cover of a romance novel. So like, you know, I'm just picturing like 
Fabio in a flannel shirt, you know, just walking out of this <laughs> coffee shop. Yes. And, you know, she's just like at a loss for words and just kind of forces a smile. And, you know, he walks by, passes by, and she's waiting in line and she sees somebody else that's gorgeous. And she's like, no way that there's two gorgeous men here like in the same day yeah she said that he this one's not as striking as the door holding adonis but he is good looking (laughs) (laughs) and then when she looks like it looks at him a little bit more she's like hmm you know he actually kind of looks like charlie lastra like a lot like him and then her like stomach clips and she's like oh no that that's that's definitely charlie that's charlie here at this coffee shop in sunshine falls yep like, so she's mortified because she's like, oh my gosh, Charlie's here. Like, if he sees me, like, what is he going to think? Like, I'm in this, like, small town. Like, and, like, Brittany says, like, it's just funny to hear, like, how she describes it. She describes it as, like, seeing your stodgiest teacher outside in a, a teens only club while wearing a crop top and a fake belly button ring. And she's like, not that I had that experience. I did. <laughs> so she's just like, I don't know. What do I do? Right. Um, so she pulls out her phone and opens up the email app. Aside from their like first email exchange, there's only one more message from Charlie. But she's like, let me just tap out a quick email to the new email address because he moved from Wharton House to Lagia six months ago. So she types out a quick new email and she's like, Charlie, a new manuscript in the works trying to recall how do you feel about talking animals, Nora? She's like, I don't expect an immediate reply, but... The man who may or may not be Charlie, aka her professional nemesis, slides his phone out from his pocket and immediately there's a reply. And she's like, this is a coincidence. Like, it, ha- this has to be a coincidence. And it just says, Nora, terrified, Charlie. So, and just note too, like, she's like hiding behind like a shelf and like peeking around, like looking <laughs> at him like... <laughs> She's like, like, Nora's, like, so embarrassed to be in this small town right now. And, like, of all people, like, Charlie's there. Like, her professional arch enemy is in this small town that she knows he hates. Because the book that he hated is based off of this small town. She's, like, staring at him when he's next in line to get coffee. Trying to figure out when he'll respond, if this is actually him. She says, Charlie, what about... Bigfoot erotica. Have some queries in my slush pile. A good fit for you, Nora. And then he just like responds, no firm (laughs) opinions yet, but extremely curious. Feel free to forward to me. (laughs) And funny enough, Nora does actually have a Bigfoot erotica submission in her pile. (laughs) She sends it over. (laughs) So so funny. Like, and I, I feel like I know just from like the years on AO3 in the years of like fandom behavior, the limit does not exist to the weird shit that people write about. Oh my gosh, right? Like there's there's a market for everything. Good old like live journal days, Wattpad stories, like there's if <laughs> there's some there's stuff. There's something for everybody out there. No, truly. <laughs> truly. And so She's kind of getting excited because he keeps kind of stepping out of line to respond to these emails. And she's like, how many times can I make him do this? And so she's like, I actually do, like Hannah said, have Bigfoot erotica. She said, "On when my boss is having a rocky day, I'll do a dramatic reading from Bigfoot's big feet to cheer her up. (laughs) (laughs) She sends it over to Charlie. No context. 
and she glances back at him and he's scowling at his phone and a reply buzzes in that says this costs 99 cents so naturally she's like what a bargain and then she finds him on venmo and sends him the 99 cents i it's so funny like i just i love too that this is such a recent book because what a moment like that's so funny that you right. would demo someone a dollar. That's definitely something I would do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then Charlie sends the the dollar right back and is like, well, Nora, I can buy my own Bigfoot erotica. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then while he's like finally ordering his coffee, she escapes the coffee shop because she's like, yep, I'm getting out of here. Confirmed it's Charlie Lastra. Like, let's go see Libby. So they get pizza. They're sitting down. They had to trek down from like the mailbox to collect the orders because the delivery driver was like i'm not allowed to climb the stairs it's for legal purposes <laughs> libby's like no there's no way there is no way that charlie lastra is here the guy that hated dusty's books like there's just no way right <laughs> she's like is he like a secret super fan of once once in a lifetime like what's going on <laughs> and nora's like no i'm pretty sure we can roll that out like he did not like that book so they're just kind of having a back and forth and they're like, what do we want to do? Should we, should we consult our list and digs the sheet out, uh, the sheet out of her bag. And Libby's like, I'm too tired for any of this. And Nora's like too tired to pet a horse and save a local business. Even after your nap, super cute and funny, like little sisterly exchanges and, talking about how you know they have a third baby on the way so they need a bigger place like they need somewhere to stay obviously staying in the city is very pricey and they're just kind of crammed in together as a family of four soon to be family of five yeah and nora always looking out for her little sister is like well if it's like a money thing for a bigger apartment like no worries like i can help out like i'll be there for you and you know libby's just very adamant like i don't need your help like i'm an adult all i need is for us to hang out just a month of relaxation and just you know sister time they talk about how they're gonna have you know they're gonna stay in they're gonna have a hepper night and how they used to do this with their mom all the time it was Catherine, not audrey that was a big thing and just saying that that's how Nora got her name. Nora Catherine Stevens was off of Catherine Hepburn. Her, Libby, and her mom would pick out uh, one of the over-the-top vintage robes that her mom had, curl up in front of the TV, cry at the favorite scenes. And they. Nora just talks about how they loved this, this time that they had together. Heartbreak was, like most things, a solvable puzzle. And this is kind of a theme for Nora, is that it has to be solvable. Like it is a, she can ha find a solution to any problem. And that's how she kind of thinks about life is life has these problems that come up. You can create a checklist and then you can resolve the checklist by going through them. So you kind of get a little bit more of a peek into Nora's thought processes. Well, during this time too, like, you know, Nora talked about earlier how like she feels like this list is a bucket list. Like she just starts to like really worry about Libby. Like, you know, that older sister feeling like, you know, all right, how can I fix this? Like, is something going on? Like, everything. And, you know, before Nora goes to bed, she just, like, tells herself, like, you are in control. You won't let anything bad happen to her ever again. So talking about Libby and just making sure, like, you know, she is in control and just very, very protective of her sister. Mm -hmm. So they're going to bed. 
And around 10 o'clock, there's an email that comes through. And the email is from none other than Charlie Lastra. It says, I would have preferred to go my whole life without knowing this book existed, Stevens. And she's just kind of like cackling to herself on the back patio of this cottage. And she's like, you bought the Bigfoot erotica? (laughs) And he calls it a business expense. He's like, this one takes place at Christmas. There's one for every holiday. <laughs> yeah. They go back and forth. And this is too, like, in this exchange, um, Charlie reveals, like, the nickname that is given to Nora. Mm-hmm. You know, in the prologue, we um, hear her, like, refer to Charlie as, like, you know, the storm cloud, right? And so Charlie just, like, says the woman they call the shark. And she's like, wait, they do call me that? Like... And Charlie says, well, it's because of your bloodlust. And it's just, it's fun. Like, you guys have to read it. Like, we can't go into details of all their exchanges. But same thing with yours truly. Like, the little note passing back and forth is so cute. Like, this little exchange is a lot of fun. We would literally be here for five hours just reading the in-between details of Charlie and Nora. Nora cannot go back to sleep. She has cityscape sounds. It's too quiet in the country. So she is longing for her Peloton and she ends up just going outside and going for a run in like the cool, dark morning. So as she's running, we learn a little bit more about her mom's backstory. You know, they said that they're basically newly orphaned, but they're not actually orphans. Her sister and her sister's husband, Brendan, hired a private investigator to find their father. Never heard back from him. Don't know what she expected from a man who couldn't be bothered to show up to his own kid's birth. And, you know, we learned that he left their mom when she was pregnant with Libby. So he left her a $10,000 check. And that's basically all that they knew of their dad. So she's just kind of recounting this as she's running through the um, pine needle dusted earth. As she rounds the corner, she notices she notices a man in the distance as she's running. And when she's she's squinting. And she notices that it's the Adonis from the coffee shop. So she's like, do I slow down? Do I introduce myself? Do I go over there? And instead of any of those options, she chose to trip over a root and go sprawling out in the mud, her hand landing squarely in something that appeared to be poop (laughs) on the ground from like a whole family of deer. So she basically just turns around and... Jogs away <laughs> with no dignity <laughs> just left. Just, just vibe, just done. Exactly. And then takes it back to Libby, where they get started on their life-changing vacation list. So one of the first things they decide to do is their makeovers. So they pick out some box hair dye and have fun with that. Nora chooses a... So they choose each other's, like, hair color and hairstyle. They, like, swear not to, like, tell each other or see anything, see each other to, like, the big reveal, which is kind of fun. So Nora ends up, like, dyeing Libby's hair pink, which she remembers, like, when she was younger, Libby just wanted pink hair. Libby gives Nora, like, a new little makeover, like, her hair a little bit darker and gives her bangs. And then they talk about how Libby's been a vegetarian since she was little. So when their mom died, too, like... Um, It was easier for Nora just to be a vegetarian, too. Financially, it just, like, didn't make sense to buy two of everything. So it's made the natural transition for both of them to be um, vegetarians. So she gets another email from Charlie. 
It says, I don't want my work email to get flagged, but there are so many excerpts of this book I can't unread. I'm in a horror movie and I won't be freed of this curse until I've inflicted it on someone else. And it just kind of continues. So Charlie already has her phone number from her email signature. She types out her phone number in the email and hits send. Sends it over to Charlie. See what happens. And they say that they're going to go ahead and walk walk up to dinner. So they walk and they kind of try to figure out where to go eat. And they see a restaurant called Papa Squat. And so they're <laughs> like, um, could this be either like a very large public bathroom or a bar and grill? <laughs> and they just like are laughing because they're like, why does this exist? Like that small town humor like there's a place in town that's like called spa and it, you know they're like you know is it supposed to be like ah uh, relaxing or like ah like scared <laughs> and like and the so, hair salon's called curl up and die yeah like D Y E. it's just like the like small town little humor and so like you yep. know they run into like Papa Squad. They go, they order, and the bartender's like, "Ah, uh, you don't want to order the salad to Nora." So they they both order some veggie burgers and fries, and then um, Nora's phone buzzes, expecting it to be Charlie, but it is actually Dusty's manuscript. So um, she's excited to finally have some pages to read for this new book that Dusty's been working on. And it's called um, Frigid 1.0. And it starts with chapter one. And the first line is, they called her the shark. And Nora literally out loud is like, what the fuck? <laughs> and <laughs> Because like, as we know, right? Like Charlie told her that her nickname is the shark. And this is how this new book by Dusty starts. The shark. Yeah. Like she has a thirst. Like she has bloodlust. Like. Yeah. So she's like reading, you know, the whole... She's reading the first chapter and it's just like going through Nora's head like, do they call her the shark? Like this character is a film agent. Like she just feels like it's very like close to home and she's like, oh my gosh, is the like, yeah. But like she just like reads this book and she's like, like this character Nadine Winters is me. Like what is it going on? Like she feels very like seen in like a bad way and it's. You know, Nadine doesn't deviate from plans. She doesn't make exceptions to the rules. She lives life by a strict code. There's no room for anyone who doesn't meet it. And in short, she is a puppy-kicking, kitten-hating, money-driven robot. Um, the puppy-kicking is implied, but give it a few more chapters and it might become canon. And so she's just like, this is awful. Like, the writing's not bad, but this is awful. Yep. It's just one chapter... Uh, she stands up and she like is like, I need Libby. Like, I need to find her. She like stands up, tries to like go to the bathroom, but she wasn't looking where she was going. She's wearing high heels. She drank a martini on an empty stomach. Uh, she's reading this book that's like giving her very surreal vibes. Like, just a not a combination that is really good. Like, very poor decisions. And she just runs into somebody like hard. And she goes down like a sack of potatoes and she runs into none other than Charlie Lastra, her nemesis here in Sunshine Falls. Mm -hmm. They have an exchange of basically her panic, like panicking through the conversation of like, I'm not stalking you. I'm here on vacation. I promise I'm not stalking you. And he's like, yeah, it sounds like you're doing a really good job convincing yourself that you're not stalking. me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And he, she's like, you know, my sister loves once in a lifetime. Like, this is why we're here. You know, she's like, well, like, why are you here to Charlie? Like, yeah, 
he just replies, oh, I'm stalking you. And like, Charlie's just very like dry with things like, you know, and yeah, where she's like, wait, what? And he's like, no, I'm from here. And Nora just kind of like stares at him. And Charlie's like, are you broken? Like, are you okay? (laughs) And Nora's just like, wait, you're from here. Like, here, here. And he's like, well, I wasn't born in the bar. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I'm here. So, like, can't believe that Charlie is from the place where there's a restaurant called Papa Squat, like, and one gas station. Like, it's so funny because she's like, her brain basically short circuits and she's like, is Papa Squat a person? <laughs> like, <laughs> of all the questions she can ask, they just kind of have like an exchange going on back and forth. More of the cutes. Again, just please, just read it. Y'all, just read it. It's yes. so much funnier. It's more funny than us retelling half of their <laughs> lines. Yeah. So Libby comes up um, because Charlie and Nora are at the bar. And before Nora can even like introduce Libby, Libby's just like, well, just want to let you know, I called a cab. I'm not feeling well. Bye. (laughs) You know, Nora's like, wait, what's wrong? And um, (laughs) she just says like Libby like doesn't sound exhausted. But Libby's like, just exhausted. Like you should stay like you're not even done with your burger. And she's like, oh, got to go. You don't mind covering the bill, Nora. And like (laughs) um, Libby just goes and. Uh, as she like leaves the bar she's like good luck checking off number five sissy (laughs) and um charlie is like number five and you know in like nora's head she's like rolling her eyes right like as we remember number five on the list is date two locals so libby just assumes that this is a local that she met at papa squat here because you know that's the the place to pick up pick up the guys so when um, Charlie bumps into her, her phone is on the floor. He picks it up and is like, wait, is this yours? And he's like, wow, what did the phone did to, do to you? Nora's like, you know, it's not the phone, except like what's in it. She like shoves her phone back to Charlie and Dusty's pages are pulled up. So he reads through it. So they're drinking their beer and uh, Charlie just is like, you know, it's fucking good, right? And Nora's like what this core is light like yeah i guess if you're into cat pee and gasoline <laughs> you know and charlie's like no the chapter like nora's still like obviously upset about it right because she thinks like it's about her you know she's like what you think i'm upset because my oldest client thinks i just fire somebody for getting pregnant you know charlie's like no she doesn't think that and then they just go back and forth again like charlie hyping her up saying like you know she's a great agent like don't read too much into this dusty wouldn't be working with her for seven years if nora wasn't a good agent yep and then it's kind of tipping into like they were obviously flirting before but now like a beer's flowing the guards kind of coming down you know she's like i'm sure it's never happened but just you wait until one of your authors turns in a book about an amber eyed asshole editor and he stops her he's like amber eyed and she's like i noticed you didn't question the asshole part (laughs) and he's like well i'm used to people thinking i'm an asshole less used to them describing my eyes as amber Yep, and, like, Nora just, like, internally thinks, like, you know, maybe he is hot. I thought he was hot, like, and attractive when I didn't know that he was Charlie at Mug and Shot. Now she's just kind of looking at him, and she's like, nope, yep, he is hot. (laughs) So they continue drinking. Nora, like, picks up her phone and panics, like, oh my gosh, Dusty. Like, she was supposed to call Dusty back to kind of review the chapters that she sent her. 
And Charlie just makes a comment like, wow, nine o'clock on vacation, like in a bar and you're still working. Nadine Winters would be proud. She challenges him to a game of pool after all is said and done. Have a few drinks in them. She obviously feigns like, oh, I don't know how to play. Can you show me? And she's actually really good. But Charlie ends up winning the first game after he like does the whole thing where he like wraps his arm around her and shows her how to hit the the ball and you know just like the cute rom-com stuff they basically are like okay if i win you're gonna tell me like why you came here what your deepest darkest secrets are like just kind of playing back and forth charlie's like listen you gotta tell me tell me why you're here we had a deal you know you played You'll tell me why you're here. Tell me your deep, dark secrets. So he scribbles out on a napkin in his, you know, traditional editor's red pen, this contract, quote unquote. And she's like, obviously, you've never seen a contract or never even been in the same room as one and kind of joking around like poor, uninformed book editors. And so he's like, well, what could possibly be so bad? Like, are you on the run? Did you rob a bank? What did you do? Did you fire your pregnant assistant? Kind of joking around. And... She gets kind of frustrated and she's like, what is so wrong with being in control anyway? Like, what's so wrong, basically, with being Nadine Winters? What is so wrong with this? She just kind of word vomits, thanks to the beer and the situation. And she's like, and what, just because I don't want kids? You know, I would punish a pregnant woman for making a different decision than me. And she's like, my favorite person's a pregnant woman right now. Just things that, like, you would look back on and be regretful as a sober person. (laughs) That you're spilling out to this guy that you now find attractive, who is your arch nemesis in your career. And, you know, she just keeps going, too. And, you know, just saying, like, you know, people don't want to work with sharky women. And Charlie's like, well, I do. I mean, I'm sure some people think they do. But next thing you know, they're dumping you in a four minute phone call because they've never seen you cry and moving across country to marry a Christmas tree heiress. And that's when Charlie's like, what? (laughs) You know, and she's like, nothing. And he's like, "Uh, that's a very specific nothing. Like, I'm going to be up all night trying to figure out what you just said. And she tells him about, like, you know, Aaron dumping her for Prince Edward Island and Grant breaking up with her for chastity. And then um, Luke and his wife and their cherry farm in Michigan. You get the idea that, like, just tropes and cliches come from somewhere and they come from her life. And this is where they bring up the list, too. They kind of go back and forth about this. And she he jokes that, like, Libby's going to marry her off to a pig farmer to, like, fulfill her small-town romance prophecy. So they're getting ready to leave and... Things get, like, a little, a little vibey. Yeah, like, they are, like, leaning closer and, you know, like, her knees, like, slip between his knees. And he's like, hmm, I could just, like, lean into him, mm-hmm. you know? In those hypothetical scenarios, like, they'd end up kissing and then it starts to rain. And she's like, yep, I should get home. And he asks her, like, should we share a cab? And she's like, you know, we're in the small town. Like, we're not going to find cabs. And she's like, I just think I'll walk. He's like, in this rain and those shoes? (laughs) And she's like, I won't melt. And then Charlie's like, well, we can share my umbrella. So they, they share Charlie's umbrella and they're walking. And, you know, he asks, like, oh, where are you guys staying? 
while you're here. And she replies, like, Good's Lily Cottage. He's like, oh, bizarre. You know, reveals that, like, that's actually his parents' rental property. Mm-hmm. That he usually stays there when he comes into town, but it wasn't an option because Nora and Libby are staying there this time. And so she kind of teases him and she's like, well, where are you staying then in your childhood bedroom? And he's like, what do you want me to say, Nora? I'm sleeping on a race car bed. <laughs> Is that what you want from me? <laughs> There's definitely like chemistry and energy like building between them. So he he leads her like up the hill to this rental property. She's like slipping and sliding because her heels puncturing the mud. And he's like, am I going to have to carry you? And she's like, I am not letting you give me a piggyback ride. He's like, I am not a, <laughs> I am not letting you destroy those poor innocent shoes. I'm not that kind of man. And I thought that was really cute because as like as much of a hard ass as he is, I just thought that was, I don't know, something innocuous that was really mm-hmm. cute. So she does. She hops on his back and he carries her all the way up the house. Yeah, and I just, I think it's funny, like, you know, he comments, like, that she's, like, being quiet, mm-hmm. you know, back there. And he's like, anything I can do to make your journey more comfortable, a neck pillow, some of those tiny Delta cookies. Because I felt that. Yeah. I love those, the Biscoff cookies that you get mm-hmm. on a Delta flight. Like, my husband knows, like, he doesn't get them. Like, he'll give them to me whenever we fly together. Um, it's like a little reward, you know. <laughs> so I understand that. I felt that. Obviously, they're feeling some some feelings towards each other. Yep. Like, don't know if it's alcohol talking, like, what is going on? And, like, Charlie responds, like, well, you should, you should scratch number five off the list. And she's like, why did I even tell you about that? Like, why? Why are you bringing it up? And, you know, he just says, like, the last thing you want to get mixed up with is somebody that lives here. He just is like, you know, I know... That you don't want that epilogue, like, someone like you and shoes like that can never be happy here. Like, don't get anybody's, like, hopes up. There's just, like, a ball of want in her stomach. Like, she just is, like, looking at Charlie, like, mm-hmm. you know, they just feel like like something's going to happen. And she says she doesn't remember doing it, but, like, her fingers are all of a sudden, like, on his stomach. Then they just start making out against the door. And she said the one thing, too, she's like, it feels like my outline is dissolving, like I'm turning into liquid. And, like, it's very in the moment. And I will say, too, I was so happy that 100 pages in, we got this and we didn't have to wait for the last, like, th- like 300 pages and finally something happens. Yes. Like, I knew, obviously, some shit was going to go down to, like, be bad and ruin it through this part. But I was like, thank God I don't have to sit there for 300 pages and be like, just For them kiss. to just, like, kiss. Just do it I already. <laughs> Like, no, I'm very glad. Thank you, Emily Henry. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, Appreciate for this that. because, like, because, like, naturally, like that would happen. Like, you know, you're at the bar drinking, like mm-hmm. that feeling, and then they're just it happens. Yep. She like mumbles like wait, and so Charlie like stops and is like shit. You know, I didn't mean to. I can't get involved. And she's like, it's a mistake. And you know, they're just like, you know, they kind of like the reality sets in. Okay, like we kind of work together, like. Let's just, like, pretend this never happened. Let's just go go our own way. Good night. And be done. Libby does end up being, like, just as disappointed as she is in herself for making out with Charlie. Because she's like, listen, you are supposed to meet a brooding, handsome, small-town lumberjack. And you're kissing a man from New York. This is not how it's supposed to go. (laughs) And so she's like, listen, you gotta, that doesn't count. It doesn't count for number five. We got to 
do it over again. And she shows Libby the chapters two from Dusty. And she's like, oh my God, this is Nora Stevens fan fiction. This is amazing. Those feelings kind of come back up of, you know, I am not Nadine Winters. Like, that's not me. Nora's like, listen, I know we're on vacation for a month, but I do still have, like, work is not stopping. I do still have to work. So she grabs her laptop. She heads down to the little town center, uh, go to the coffee shop, get a coffee, do some work. When she gets down there, the coffee shop is like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't have Wi-Fi here at Mug and Shot. And she's like, well, does, do you have like a library? She's like, yeah, a couple blocks down the road, but that also doesn't have Wi-Fi. And she's like, is there anywhere in this town that has Wi-Fi? And she's like, oh, well, like the bookstore just got Wi-Fi. So if you want to head over there. She goes in and she describes this bookstore as like the shelves are like wild and like built at wild angles that make her feel like she's sliding off the edge of the planet. She notices like a rounded doorway. So she kind of walks through that. There's a mural and it's not like crisp new spines, but like good old like used bookstore, new books with old paperbacks and she just imagines that when the town was more like bustling, it was like the center of the town. And so she goes deeper into the shelves, into a what she calls the world's most depressing cafe. And so behind the register, she sees a man hovering over his laptop, which is none other than our than our man. Than our man Charlie. Charlie. What's up, Charlie? He's like, well, if it isn't the woman who quote unquote isn't stalking me. And she's like, well, if it isn't the man who quote unquote, didn't try to ravish me in the middle of a hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) This bookstore in Sunshine Falls is actually his family-owned bookstore. Yeah, so it's the family bookstore, and she is holding a copy of Once in a Lifetime and is like, oh, I found this on the bestseller shelf. And he's like, yep, I know, it's shelved right next to Guide to North Carolina's Bike Trails, my old old dentist self-published last year. Did you want one of those, too? (laughs) Then she's, like, looking at him, gets distracted by his arms and his t-shirt, you know. And she's like, just chill, Nora. Like, act normal. After this little back and forth, he goes, have you heard from Sharon yet? And Nora's, like, Dusty's editor. And we find out that her editor is now out on leave because she had her baby. Nora's panicking. She's like, she's not due for another month. We have another month to get in these edits for Dusty. And he's like, would you like me to call her and tell her this? Maybe something can be done. Do you have any connections at the hospital? Like, (laughs) Charlie basically is like, I, I want it. And she's taken aback. And he goes, Dusty's book, Frigid. I want to work on it. He says, if we keep the release date, Sharon won't be back in time to edit. And they need someone to step in. And I've asked to take on this book. And so all of a sudden, Charlie Lastra, her enemy who just made out with her in the rain and now she's having these weird feelings is now going to be working directly with her client that she's been with for seven years while they're together in a small town. (laughs) And so after this little exchange and at the bookstore and Libby's like, um, I wouldn't 
call like spending all day on your laptop away from your New York nemesis trying new things while you're here. You can tell that she just really wants Nora to like stop working and spend time with her and you know that's not what this whole vacation is for and Libby her gears start like turning in her brain and she's like you know what about number 12 on the list like save a local business and so Libby's like this is it like this is our local business and Nora's like maybe they don't want our help like you never know and of course Libby's like well I already have ideas like this is happening while Libby's there like Charlie walks over they start talking about how Charlie's on board now with like being the editor but Nora's like well I have a stipulation like we're gonna co-edit this book she just doesn't want like Charlie to go in there like bulldozing like Dusty's self-esteem like Dusty's a very like peculiar author Nora doesn't want like anything jeopardizing it especially not Charlie so they decide to co-edit this book together. So we'll say a lot of the things that like come next, like there's a lot of back and forth between Charlie and Nora that like I highly recommend you read the book and just kind of like really get a feel for the characters because it's just it's just fun. We probably won't do as great of a job really kind of describing their like banter back and forth and kind of what happens. But you have to read it like it's a it's a fun book to read. Yeah. I love it. Also, a theory. I'm going to say this now as we go. So a theory I had when I was reading this is that, like, Dusty was, like, a ghostwriter. That we, like, didn't really, like, know who she was. And, like, the way that, like, Charlie Mm -hmm. is, like, you know, calls her the shark and everything. Like, I thought, like, Charlie, like, could have been Dusty. Like, it sounds like such, like, a funny theory, but, like... (laughs) I thought, like, Charlie could be Dusty or, like, his mom could be Dusty. Writing that, like, frigid. Because I was like, this is, like, really close to, like, Nora. Like, and it's, like, happening as they, like, are going. And I was like, yeah, you know. But it goes back to, uh, yeah. That was my, like, weird theory. I was like, is that going to be, like, the reveal? (laughs) So we, like, skip ahead a little bit. And Libby is still dead set on this list. So she forces, because, again, Charlie does not count for number five. So she forces Nora out on a date with a man that she found on on a little on a little app, and it's called Marriage of Minds, and the acronym is MOM for short. <laughs> Pretty clever, like because it'd be like, oh, how'd you guys meet? Oh, mom. mom. <laughs> Very true. But she's like, Blake is a fisherman. He's a teacher and a night owl. Extremely physically active. She's like, Libby, it says that he's looking for a down-to-earth woman who doesn't mind spending her Saturdays cheering on the Tar Heels. Like, this is not her. <laughs> She's like, well, it's too late. Blake thinks he's, he's meeting you at Papa Squats for karaoke night. <laughs> so you gotta go. She's like, well, I guess I should Google what a Tar Heel is beforehand. Figure out what that is. And so she goes. And the first thing that he says is he's like, you look different in your picture. Excuse me? And then oh, Blake. she's like... Oh, a haircut. And he goes, well, you you didn't say how tall you were in your profile. And she's like, this is coming from... He listed himself as six foot one, six one. And he can't be taller than five nine unless he's wearing stilts underneath the table. <laughs> and they kind of have this like weird off back and forth first. Oh, he's like, what size are your shoes? And she's like, what, what are you drinking? Alcohol? Are you drinking alcohol? Alcohol sounds good. We're going to have some alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> and... She orders two gin martinis and he's like, well, I don't drink. And she's like, nope, nope, I'll drink yours. I got you. (laughs) It's just, it is an awkward, super uncomfortable moment. But 
Charlie steps inside in the middle of the state. Of course he does. And she's trying to like hide behind her. Like she's fighting the urge to hide behind the menu. She's like, I can't, I can't do this. And finally she's just like, oh, do you need anything from the bar? He's like, well, I don't drink. You know, this date is not going well. She cannot find Libby anywhere and text her like, where are you? And she hears somebody out of the corner of her eye just say, if you're looking for your dignity, you won't find it here. <laughs> and she sees that it's Charlie sitting there with a bottle of Coors. She just like snaps back at him like, you're here. Like, what's so dignified about being at karaoke night? And Charlie just responds, yeah, but I'm not here with Blake Carlisle. We find out that Blake grew up with Charlie here at Sunshine Falls. Charlie just wonders like how she ended up at the at Papa Squat with Blake. Replies, well, like, have you heard of mom? And Charlie's like, the woman who works at the bookstore? Like, <laughs> I think so. Why? Nora's like, uh, no, the dating app. So like, you know, people can be like, well, mom set me up. One thing I don't think we highlighted on is uh, Nora did meet Charlie's mom you know, had like a good interaction with her. And um, when she met Charlie's mom, his mom like texted him like that, like the person staying at their house is gorgeous and Mm -hmm. like so pretty. And Charlie like asked Nora, like, why is my mom texting me that you're, (laughs) that you're hot or whatever. (laughs) And so here, you know, Charlie's like, well, I would never go out with somebody that my mom set me up with. And Nora's like, well, your mom thinks I'm gorgeous. Charlie just says, like, well, you can get back to your date. You know, she does not want to hang out with Blake. She's like, well, how do I get out of here? <laughs> like, is there a way out of here that, like, we can leave? And Charlie's like, yep, out the back door. So sneaks him out. And as they're out there, there's this place that's open that normally isn't open during the weeks. It's only open on Saturday and Sundays. And Charlie's like, would you like to have dinner with me, Nora? And he's like, as colleagues, one who can, like, ones who cannot fulfill each other's checklist. And she's like, well, I wasn't aware you had a checklist. And he said, of course I have a checklist. What am I, an animal? I just, I love that they're just like, meant to be. I just love, I love it so much. So they have dinner together and, you know, they're talking about the list and all of these things that have happened. And their dinner sounds so good. So like, good. I'm a sucker for like Italian. So mm-hmm. we learn a little bit more about Charlie's family. So we learn that he has a younger sister named Karina. She's like, it's hard to kind of imagine Charlie with anything but his, like himself, because he seems so self-contained. But we learn that Karina is the reason why he's in Sunshine Falls, because she is a painter and she ended up in Florence. And um, now she's just not coming home. She asked what his dad was like, because his dad again, had a stroke, which is why he ended up here to help take care of the family, help take care of the bookstore. And he starts asking questions about her family and going back and forth between like how Libby is the chaotic, charming rom-com heroine and she is the exact opposite. We kind of get into, you know, more of that backstory between them. So after this dinner, like, I feel like this is where like things kind of start to form a little bit. After this, we're going to just kind of highlight, you know, like what happens and we set it up. Now you guys kind of know what's going on. You know, they're still like drinking. They got a bottle of wine at dinner. You know, they just start checking things off the list. One of the things on the list was going skinny dipping, which Nora originally was like a 30 something year old naked woman in like a creek by herself. Probably not a good idea, but maybe if you're like hooking up with Charlie Lastra 
half naked in a in a pond, river, lake. That might be better. <laughs> right. So, you know, they decide to go skinny dipping in this, you know, random little area. And, you know, things get steamy and it's a romance book. So, you know, just... Yeah, it's cut off though. It's lovely. It's cut off by yeah. work, of course. Yep. So it starts getting steamy. You know, then they get snapped back to reality, which I feel like is just kind of like what keeps happening to them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they want to progress and then it's like, oh... You know, like, let's be realistic with things. Yep. The next day, Nora wakes up, goes on a run, and definitely hung over from the night before. 100%. On her run, runs into our Greek god again, our romance novel cover. We learn his name. His name is Shepard. Right before, like, he, like, walked up to, like, she puked, so there's, like, definitely vomit just, like, laying next to her. And she's like, he probably saw that. And he's like, well, if you need a tour guide, like, let me know. You know, it's a small town, so they'll probably run into each other. So she gets back and she gets like a text from Brendan, who's Libby's husband, like saying like, hi, Nora, hope the trip is going well. Is Libby all right? She like shows it to Libby like, uh, it, is everything okay? Like, what's this about? And Libby just like brushes it off like, oh, I'll call him later. And this is when like Nora's like really going back to like, okay, why are we here? Like, what's going on with Libby and... It's like her big sister senses. Like marriage? Yep. You know, we talk about how, like, Nora is very, like, anti-love, and here's her sister, like, falling in love with Brendan. You know, they have this, like, perfect marriage with two kids, one more kid on the way. So she's just kind of like, well, why is Brendan texting me? Like, we just send happy birthdays back and forth like we don't talk like mm -hmm. Nora just is like very suspicious and she's like you know what I'm here I'm focused like I'll fix it like whatever's wrong with Libby like I'll fix it yep she has that the checklist every problem has a solution and Nora mm -hmm. will solve the puzzle she will find the problem and fix it and Libby's also like still dead set on like the local business that they're trying to save is the bookstore yep and you know charlie's kind of hesitant like we don't have that in the budget and libby's like oh don't worry about it like it'll be we'll find things secondhand like it'll work out like it'll be good and nora's happy like that like libby has like something to focus on keep her busy it moves ahead you know charlie and nora are working on dusty's pages on her manuscript like editing them down and to her surprise Dusty's on board with the edits that they've made and they have this like really amazing dynamic working together both outside in their like ever-growing like chemistry that they have but also in the professional relationship they just bounce ideas really well off of each other they're kind of in each other's heads as they're sitting in the bookstore kind of getting everything going someone walks back in and it just so happens to be the hot small town man shepherd that she met you know shepherd said well sally asked me to drop this off drop by and he's like well isn't who look who it is it's nora from new york and basically is like hey are you free like i can give you a tour like i can just you can hop up in my truck and i'll drive you around and nora's like this is it the small town fantasy i had that awful date we're gonna check off the good one so she hops in his in his truck and they drive up to a blue ridge parkway and she's never really seen anything quite like it. And so she is living out this like small town trope right now. This small town romance. The thing that she said never happens to people. But she's kindly reminded that tropes do come from somewhere. 
the people that she's dated have experienced it. So she's going to allow herself to experience it now. And she's talking to Shepard, kind of getting to know him a little bit. There's just something, though, that like every time she thinks it's Charlie, like Charlie's at the front of her mind. So she kind of cuts things off with Shepard and is like, oh, I should be getting back to things with my sister. So she's like, yeah, yeah, I'll call I'll call you once I figure out what's going on. And her little small town romance is ended as quickly as it started. Yep. And like to note too, like her and Charlie have established, even though like they definitely have this little like flirtatious feelings for each other that it just can't go anywhere. Like they're working together, you know, something is still stopping her from proceeding with anybody else. Because like Britt said, all she can think about is Charlie. They keep just having these like, will they, won't they moments. They're like Hannah said, definitely they drew the line in the sand and they're trying to abide by it, but it's really hard. They are seeing each other a lot because of Dusty's pages that are coming through. So she's just doing her best to keep that professional distance. But as she's going through this, as they're still working, Libby is still full force in this bucket list, this vacation number one thing. They're checking it off the list because they're going to see the Sunshine Falls Community Theater doing a rendition of Dusty's best-selling novel once in a lifetime (laughs) this is the local theater they're supporting and so they go inside it's general admission it's in a gymnasium and they're realizing that like obviously it's a small town so the parts are not necessarily played by people who are best fit for the roles like old man Whitaker in the book is being played by a child and they're like but what about the drug abuse and the overdoses (laughs) and they're just being like very (laughs) a little rambunctious in the audience kind of laughing and really just enjoying themselves in the moment and poking fun at the small town vibes that they have with the book after it's over they run into sally good on their way out she invites them over to their like post show party it's a tradition they do it four times a year they always have the party at their house after and she's basically like you have to come you have to come over won't take no for an answer. So Libby and Nora end up at the Lastra Good House, where they're going to be throwing a party. Yes. And I would love to be at this party because Same. it's like, it, you know, it like they talk about like how everybody brings a bottle of wine and they just like, you know, put a number on the bottom and then like raffle off the thing, like a little wine exchange. And it's just like, seems like just a little fun, like small town get together and and when they're at the house they run into shepherd and libby is like smacking nora and she's like girl you didn't tell me he looked like this like (laughs) oh my god but we do find out that shepherd is charlie's cousin Mm -hmm. and um she almost kissed charlie's cousin which is a realization that she's like "Mm, i don't love that don't love that (laughs) And so when they talk to like Sally, they like talk about like how Sally lived in New York and different things. And she moved back to the hometown, fell in love and just like, you know, it's romantic. And, you know, Nora's like, well, don't you miss it? Like miss the city? Like Sally just like, you know, honestly, it's a huge relief to come here and just be settled. Libby's like, no kidding. Like, you know, and she expresses like, kind of, I feel like we see like her frustration almost too, is like, we moved to the city so our mom could try to make it as an actress, like the most chronically exhausted person in the world. You know, Nora's like quick to defend her mom. Like, you know, that's not fair. Like Libby's like, well, don't you remember like when she was a nickel short at the bodega and the clerk told her to put 
like a linebacker and she broke down. You know, Nora just kind of like her heart hurts because she's like, didn't think like Libby remembered that and like really tries to like protect her. And he felt like she like shielded her from like some of the stuff that happened with their mom or just different things. To Nora, like Nora's like, well, we were happy. That's how she remembers it. What Libby's telling Sally is like, doesn't match that narrative that kind of Nora has told herself. You know, Libby's just saying like their mom was like tired and broke and lonely and their mom put like the career in front of everything and compares Nora to like their mom. Like, well, Nora's the same way with work, just like no time for real life and Libby's like, well, that's why I dragged her here. Like, Trip is sort of like an intervention. Nora's head is just kind of reeling. Like, does she think I'm tired, lonely? And is this how Libby sees me? Like a shark? She just starts to basically like have a panic attack. So she like heads to the stairs, goes up the second floor and finds a bathroom. But on the way, like there's a room that catches her eye. It's just books. Of course, books catch Nora's eye. <laughs> like, what does she have an eye for? Charlie and books. That's it. You know, so Nora just like is reminiscing and just kind of going back through all these memories and kind of like spiraling out almost. Yep. And then she hears Charlie just kind of walk in and just be like, Nora, like what happened? Yeah. Nora can't say anything. Like she just sees Charlie and she just like can't really like fathom a thought and just like, you know, sorry, I needed like space. And (laughs) Charlie, of course, like, you know, she finds herself like she's in Charlie's bedroom is where she like found herself and. He's like, well, what did you need? Like a nap, a fantasy novel, a competitively fast oil change. (laughs) And, you know, because as we remember, right, like he's in his childhood bed is a NASCAR bed. (laughs) So his little, it like calms Nora down and she's just like, how do you say the right things? Like, you know, it just like gets her back to kind of reality. This whole scene here is where we kind of see the walls start to really come down between them. There's these moments of this back and forth and Charlie has this like innate and inherent understanding of who Nora is as a person. And Nora's like, you know, you, you see me, like you see me, you watch me. And he's like, of course I do. Like, of course I fucking do. You know, like I'm always aware of where you are. I'm always aware of the things that you do. You get splashes on your face, like right here. And you're a fighter when you care about something in someone, you won't let them go. And people like your sister are lucky to have you in their lives because she's spiraling about she feels like her entire life has been focused, like we talked about earlier, on the career. And she's losing the moments of her life that mean a lot to her and she hasn't been present for. And Charlie talks about how his dad is not actually his biological father. And they just have these these really soft, like tender moments together. There's a moment in time where she says, this is, so I didn't tab a whole lot in this book, but I did tab this. And she said that I take his face between my hands, feeling like my lungs are on fire. Like there are feelings my vocabulary isn't advanced enough to put into words. I want to drape myself over him like chainmail, or swallow some gasoline, go downstairs and spit it out as fire. Just this like overwhelming sense of like protective energy that she has over him. And they both kind of feel it for each other. And they are doing these, these back and forths and Charlie essentially tells her like you're not a disappointment like you're not wrong for these things and for the people that made you feel like you were they have terrible taste and she says that he is one of the least disappointing people she has ever met 
which for Nora, that's huge. That's a big compliment for Nora. Yes. They're again in this like, will they, won't they, a push and pull situation. And her phone ends up chirping in the corner and it kind of jolts them back down to reality. And Libby's just asking like, hello, are you alive? Like basically you abandoned me. Yeah. And so I thought this was funny too. Like when they're like jolted back to reality, like, you know, Charlie's like, well, you should rescue Libby before the knitting club recruits her. <laughs> and that how like the knitting club is literally like Sunshine Falls equivalent of the mafia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just uh, imagining all these like little old ladies who like, like knit are like violently knitting. Oh, hi, Libby. <laughs> yeah. Like they know all the gossip. Like that's just the yep. little like they're the ones that run the town. You know, Nora finds her way back downstairs and runs into Sally and Sally is like, oh, I dug the number up of somebody that your sister was looking for. And Nora meets back up with Libby and they call it a night. And so they um, find themselves at the library doing more editing, Charlie and um, Nora. Nora gets another strange text from Brendan, just kind of like, are you guys still, are you girls still having fun? Nora still just thinks it's weird that Brendan's like texting her and she's like, I know Libby has her phone. Tells Brendan like, yep, everything's fine. Like, is everything okay? He replies like, definitely with a couple ex like extra exclamation points. So she's just like very, just very still unsettled about like what's going on between Brendan and Libby and just hoping like Libby's okay. And then they just go back and forth and kind of discuss the book and their editing views. And, you know, Charlie gives Nora a good compliment saying that she's good at this. And he, or before Nora took the job as like a literary agent, um, she did have an interview for an editor. But at that time, the money was in her being an agent and not an editor. And she had to support Libby. So she decided to not take the editing interview. So they talk a little bit more because... Amaya, who was the girl that led them out the back of the bar um, when she was on that horrible date, is actually Charlie's ex-fiance. They had this, this meeting like, oh, you saw her, you know, she stopped by and Charlie's like, it's just to clear the air. It's a small town. You can't avoid your exes. And Nora's kind of like, mm, I mean, you know, it's none of my business. And they have this moment. She's like, you know what? They're clearing the air. All this stuff. I feel it. It's now or never. She said, like, I want to be with you here and not worry about what comes next. Not worry about what happens when I leave this small town. What happens when you don't come back to New York? Like, what happens? I don't want to worry about that. I just want to be here with you. She's like, Again, I told you, I don't want to think about what comes next. I'm not even sure I can handle that right now. And he's like, you know, are you sure? And she said completely. And she said, if you want to, I'll even sign a napkin. Then it gets spicy. It gets a little spicy. And they're like, we can't do this in the library. Like, we gotta, we gotta go. We, we cannot do this here. Basically, she's like, if we had anywhere more private to go than this library, like, we'd already be gone. Like, we'd be done for. <laughs> Charlie says, when we finally do this, when it finally happens, it's not going to be on a library table and it's not going to be on a time crunch. No shortcuts. So Nora like stops like after that, the, you know, things heat up with Charlie. Like she's like, you know, I got to tell Shepard that I'm like not interested. Oh, yeah. So she like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she looks in her purse and try like tries to find the number that like Shepard gave her, 
pulls out a number, dials it. Someone picks up and says, Dent Hopkins Amaro, how may I help you? So Nora's like, I'm looking for Shepard. And the person on the other line's like, um, there's no one here by that not by that name. Mm-hmm. So Nora's like, who did it like thinking like, who did I call? Like, who am I talking to? Yeah. And they're like, well, this is the law offices of Dent Hopkins Amaro. Then Nora's like, wait a second. This isn't Shepard's number. This is the number that Sally gave me for Libby. And so she like does a quick Google search of this like law office, sees that it's like family law attorney. So Nora's mind starts racing like she asked Sally for like a divorce lawyer. Things start like kind of like crashing. Like she's like, oh my gosh, like, like, is this what's going on? Is this what like, yeah, Libby is upset about? Is this why we're here? Like, are Libby and Brendan getting a divorce? Like, you know, she just kind of like starts replaying everything back in her mind. Starts like being Nora, right? And starts being like, okay, what's the solution to this? Like, how are we going to fix this? Like, what are we going to do? Like, the problem is... Libby's getting a divorce. How are we going to, like, ease the blow? Like, get a counselor. And I just like how she's like, possibly hire a hitman. Or maybe not a hitman. <laughs> but somebody that can, like, knows revenge. She just says, like, you know, now that I know what's wrong, I can fix it. You know, Libby continues to just kind of brush her off and, like, pretend like nothing is wrong. And so, you know, she's like, what's next on the list? And Libby goes, I am so glad you asked because I have an amazing idea. And so Libby is planning a blue moon ball, like what happens in Once. Nora's like, this seems like a lot of work. Like, we are not here that much longer. This seems like, this seems like a lot. But Libby already goes, Joe Martin, like, we won't be doing it alone. Sally already put out calls to everyone in her wine exchange. So from that party... Amaya is going to work the bar and Gertie, who we learn is the anarchist barista from the coffee shop, is going to make flyers to spread them around. It's going to be a piece of cake. Everything's going to be fine. Sally and I thought it would be cool to do a virtual Q&A with Dusty about the book. Maybe we can get some uh, signed stock on hand for her to promote if she wouldn't mind. And so this puts Sonora on track with Dusty again to see like, you know, the people here loved your book. Would you be willing to do this? And everything just kind of comes together. So in the midst of all of this planning, Charlie and Nora are still working together. They're working a lot over email right now, because if they're in the same room for too long, she's fairly confident that Libby or someone will absolutely know exactly what's going on. And so they keep their emails picture-perfect professional. Their text messages, however, are not. (laughs) They try to steal away some alone time wherever they can. But basically, one day she sees him and she's like, you look like you haven't slept in like years. And he asks if they can just... He's had a lot of on his mind. Asks if they can go somewhere just to talk things over. And they head out... Oh, they do, they do a target run. We love a good target run. Blessings. We sure do. I don't do a lot of those now because I'm trying to not spend an excessive amount of money. But whenever we get one, top tier. Yes. So they go on this target run and they help like get stuff, what Libby needs for to save the bookstore. But they also pick up like camping gear and Charlie like helps her set up their tent because one of the things on the list is to like sleep outside. So Nora gets a call from Shannon, who is Dusty's editor, who's out on maternity leave. Yep. She's like, well, that's weird. Like, so she's like, I should take this. And Libby's like, no work calls after five. 
Um, and Nora's like, no, I need to take this one. The conversation is just kind of if Nora would actually be interested in a editing job at Logia. And so she's like, oh my gosh, Sharon's probably leaving. Like, you know, she had the baby. She's like decided not to come back. And so the conversation with Shannon is like, hey, like, you know, I can't say anything concrete, but we'd like to interview you for this editing job. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't need to give me an answer yet. Just wondering if you're interested. You know, Nora's first reaction is like, yeah, I'm interested. But then she backtracks and is asked if she can like think about it and like reach out in a couple days because it is a big decision. Yeah. You know, she wants to make sure that it's the right, the right thing to do. And this is where kind of, so she enters back into conversation with Libby. Libby just asks, like, what's going on with you? And Nora, like, snaps back and is like, me? Like, I'm not the one that's sneaking around, disappearing and not answering her husband's text. And just Nora says that, like, she's been fully present and that, like, Libby is, like, still keeping her in the dark and that, like, Nora can't help Libby unless she, like, tells her what's going on. And Libby just is like, you know, I don't want your help. Like, I used to rely on you a lot. I don't want to be another excuse for you not to live your life. Mm-hmm. And like Nora snaps back and just is like, well, you think that my life is my career? Like I could have had um, the job I actually wanted, but I didn't chose to make sure that you had the best life and could afford whatever you wanted. Libby like, like replies back like, wait, you, you what? And then Libby collapses. Charlie's there. He comes running up, grabs the car. They take her to the hospital and Nora is a mess because she's just thinking back to like her mom going away and Libby hasn't been telling her things. And she's like, if I had been there, if I had known, if I had been more present, could fix this. They take her in. So she's freaking out. She's like, is this a heart attack, a stroke, a miscarriage, a pulmonary embolism? Like what is happening? And so Charlie is there and he's really just like calming her down. But the doctor said, you know, hey, your sister is anemic. It's not uncommon and it's, you know, unsurprising for someone who's already dealt with this in a previous pregnancy. And that hits her really hard because she doesn't know about this and she hasn't known about this. And it's just one of those extra reaffirming factors that she feels like she is missing out on her life due to her career. You know, it's a very simple fix. Like she needs to take an iron supplement, eat more meat and eggs, do the same thing with B12. And Charlie's right there kind of centering Nora, keeping her calm. She ends up going in once Libby is kind of fully conscious and ready to go. And they're like, you know, your sister's ready for you. So she goes into the room and she's like, you're mad. Like, I'm sorry that I didn't tell you this happened before. And she said she's just confused. And they kind of have it back and forth. Like, I'm confused why you didn't tell me you had a chance at an editing job. And so, you know, they kind of go back and forth and like, you should have told me, you know, you're not a burden and just having these like this very emotional conversation about it and about what they can do to be more present, not keep secrets from each other moving forward. And that, you know, Nora wanted to help her. She wanted to take care of her. She wanted to be her caregiver and Libby's, you know, like I also can take care of myself and you need to take care of yourself. You can't just take care of everyone else for the rest of your life. And then, oh, there is a really funny moment though. Like after all the trauma in the hospital and all the drama, they're on the way home. And, you know, she's like, there's something else that you should know. Libby says this to Nora and Nora's like, oh God, 
oh no, here we go. What else has she been keeping from me? And she's like, I eat meat. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's like this big, like dramatic reveal. Yep. And it's literally just, she's been eating meat for a few years now. And she said when she was pregnant, she had anemia and she had a constant craving for Whoppers from Burger King. So she stopped when she was born. But, you know, number three, it just, it came back. So now they're, uh, she's asking for a Whopper on the way home. And she just cannot believe. (laughs) She can't believe that this whole time she thought her sister was a vegetarian. And she's been out there eating meat. (laughs) Charlie and Nora are editing the last little bit of Dusty's pages and they both like finish reading it and they're both disagree that it's perfect that like this is great story they love it they like have a few like questions and they both just kind of walk through and just you know feel very confident in like where book kind of wraps up that dusty wrote and while this is happening there's a thunderstorm and the sky turns black the rain is like super thick lightning and the power goes out the lights sputter out you know charlie's first reaction just is to make sure nora's okay they lock the front door find flashlight you know we talk about like tropes and it's like you know the one bedroom at the inn and yeah like, the power is out. out in the the abandoned books family bookstore yeah <laughs> Yeah, so they're really leaning into this this trope here, this romantic trope. And and Nora basically just says, listen, tonight, can I just have you? Even if it can't last, even if we already know how this ends. And then we go into a whole spicy chapter. Just one whole chapter of spice. Yep. That's all it is. It gets very spicy. Yes. Charlie basically is like, you should stay. And she's like she goes why i just need a reason and he's like well i want you to and she said i don't stay over at strange men's places and he goes then lucky this isn't actually my place like (laughs) because they're at the bookstore and okay this is really funny i know that we haven't read the dialogue but we have to (laughs) this part is so funny Or she goes, yes, because if it were, your parents would come running in bleary-eyed with a shotgun thinking you were being burglarized (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Charlie goes, but at least we'd already be inside a getaway car. <laughs> <laughs> this freaking NASCAR bed. Like, in my head, I'm picturing, like, you know, one of, like, the plastic little race car beds. Like, I know the it's, like, one that, red. like, his dad not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, the little tiny, like, little kids like, one. I'm picturing Lightning McQueen. Uh, That's what I'm picturing. Yes. <laughs> you know, Charlie's still trying to get her to stay, but he says... It's not just like a stay. It's a, I'll take you home whenever you want. But if you want to stay and you wake up screaming, it's okay. I'll make sure you're okay. And if you want to stay and then you change your mind, I don't mind driving you back at 4 a.m. They end up staying together for a little bit longer. But Nora says, if I don't say it out loud, it doesn't count. But she does acknowledge that she's not sure she would even want to stop it. And she's not even sure she would know how. But she says that she is falling in love with Charlie Lastra. Aww. Oh, we love it. The next day, um, Nora's talking to Libby and tells Libby that, you know, Charlie's staying. Like, he's staying in Sunshine Falls. And um, 
<laughs> Libby's reaction is like, well, he qualifies for the list now. <laughs> Since he's a local. And, you know, Libby's just like, well, you know what? Like, you haven't been this excited about a guy in so long. Like, you know, Nora's just like very much like, you know, even if we explore it, we know how this ends. It tells Libby like, this isn't a movie. Like, this is a like our real lives and not everything falls into place. Like, I don't want to give up everything. You know, she's has a possibility for her dream job of being an editor. Like, she loves New York. She is a city girl through and through. Even if she loves Charlie, like, she's not ready to give up everything to stay in this small town. And then we have visitors come to Sunshine Falls. We have our little nieces and Brendan come to the cottage. So they come in, and even though Nora does not want children, she loves these children um, like they're her own, basically. They just have these like very cute moments together, and they go out for dinner. Libby makes a comment where she's like, it kind of feels like we're in New York, doesn't it? Like, if you close your eyes, just the sounds of all these people and that feeling in the air. Yeah, because they go to... They don't go to Papa Squat. They, they sure don't they go, go to Papa to Squat. <laughs> um, they go to downtown Asheville. Yep. To a chic little restaurant. Yep. While they're out, she's talking to Charlie. She's sending him a text. There's like a wave of nostalgia that kind of hits her about the city. She says that, you know, she's had 10 years of her life trying to push away from this feeling. This feeling that like she's been trying to suppress about this love for people and just like fully allowing herself to open up. And she said all it took was three weeks and a fictional woman named Nadine Winters to pull her right back in. Libby tells her before they leave to, like, don't make any plans for tomorrow. I have a surprise for you. And Brendan kind of looks, like, a little guilty about it. But then we we have the surprise. We have the big reveal. Yes. The surprise. You know, they take a cab and Nora's, like, guessing, like, what they're doing, right? Like, she's like, all right, you know, are we doing an unofficial once-in-a-lifetime uh, town tour? A funeral for Old Man Whitaker's fictional dog? Just kind of guesses everything and Libby just keeps saying that she's getting colder and colder. So she gets out of the car. She's, you know, has her eyes closed. Libby's leading her up, like saying, hey, there's some stairs and asks her to give her a drum roll, takes the scarf away from her eyes and they're standing in an empty room. Libby has like anxious energy and just tells Nora to picture a wooden table right here, something sleek and modern, a dark blue velvet couch, and is just kind of laying out the land and painting this picture in this house. Asks Nora, like, what does she think? Nora's like, about the house? Like, in the middle of Sunshine Falls? You know, Libby's like, well, you wouldn't imagine how cheap it is. She just can't, like, Nora can't wrap her head around, like, Lib, you can't live somewhere like this. Your life's in New York like New York City, Brendan's jobs in New York. Like Nora thinks like her mom, like everybody, like her life is in New York. And Libby's just like, no, you know what? Like, I love it here. Well, the list was about making you see what I love about like the small town and this. And, and that's what Brendan was checking in about. And if I had told you that he like, you know, Brendan was checking in to see when Libby was going to tell Nora that like he got a new job in Asheville that they were getting ready to move out of the city. Nora has a moment. She's like, like, did you do this? Did you buy this house without telling me? Did you do this? And Libby says that they close 
at the end of the week, which is why Brendan and the girls came out. And Nora dips. She's like, I gotta go. Like, I can't do this right now because her whole world is crashing down. She goes down to Good Books. She knows Charlie is working, but she's like, I just wanted to be somewhere. And she explains what happens. And and she goes, I'm going to be alone. And he said, you're not alone. You're not, and you won't be. But all of the memories of the holidays, Christmas, everything kind of comes flooding in. And Charlie just pulls her in and is like, I've got you. I've got you. Don't worry. And she said, it's like a dam has broken. She hears a strangled sound and she starts crying. And she mentions earlier that she hasn't cried much in like the better part of a decade. And so she had this like safe moment with Charlie where she just completely shatters and breaks down. And he said, you know, it's okay. I'm here. And she said, for now, I think, because nothing, not the beautiful and not the terrible lasts. I definitely cried during this part. Like I was sitting on the couch mm-hmm. while Ryan was playing video games, reading this and like crying. And he like <laughs> kept looking over to make sure I was okay. He's like, are you good? Are you doing all right over there? Yeah. I was like, it's just a book. He's like, okay. <laughs> no. He's like, but I mean, no, it's fine. I, I mean, I'm a crier. I, yep. I will cry at anything and everything. Yep. And so Nora is realizing she's like this is why i haven't cried for all these years like i just want the pain tamped down i want it pushed aside i want it like compartmentalized i don't want to feel these feelings she's scared of losing everything she's scared of crying she feels weak and helpless and she doesn't stop crying until it hurts she and charlie just had this conversation about how all the reasons the normal people leave she just always thought that her sister would be by her side forever when her mom died they lost the apartment it was like their whole world got swallowed up and so in the city maintaining the memories of their life their mom are the two sisters and nora thought that there would never be a chance that she would lose that experience and that opportunity in new york with libby charlie does have such a way with words that kind of calms nora down and he does he, he calls her perfect like to him she's perfect it's so cute and like the one thing i don't know what you've tabbed if it's coming up go for it but he he's basically telling her like you spent your whole life ensuring that her needs are taken care of that your sister's needs are taken care of you know you want this job you love the city this is what you have and what you have should be nothing less he's like you should have everything everything she said what if it's not possible And this is the one thing I was like, oh, I love this so much. And he said, if anyone can negotiate a happy ending, it's Nora Stevens. And I just think it's so sweet. Like she says, like, that was the first night she like slept like a rock. Yeah. Like she didn't wake up anything. Like, I think we just see that Charlie is her safe space that she hasn't really had since their mom died because she hasn't wanted to open up and Mm -hmm. um, be that vulnerable with somebody. But now that she has, she feels like comfortable enough to sleep throughout the night and just have that moment. Through that night too, they they talk, they're up at all hours. And the one thing that she does tell him is about their mom's birthday routine. How every December the 12th at noon, they go to Freeman Books and browse for hours until she picked out one book, one perfect book to buy at full price. She said that her and her sister still go where they used to. 12, 12 at 12 o'clock. And Charlie said 12 is a great number. Every other number can go to hell. <laughs> and so Nora thinks like, well, maybe maybe it could work, mm-hmm. right? Maybe 
and you know she's just not ready to give this up so then we you know see Nora go back to Libby and they kind of talk it out and kind of go through their argument and where it stemmed from and you know Libby just says that Nora's always kept things from her like she's trying to protect her but you know when Nora pretends that things are okay and they're not like that's actually like hurting Libby and just trying to fix things without her knowing is just not not doing either of them any good Libby just says like you know, I wanted to win you over for the small town life. That was the life-changing, mm-hmm. you know, vacation plan that we had. Wanted to show you how life could be outside of New York. You know, what they were missing, it was more of a, a sales yeah. pitch. And Libby says, well, Brendan wanted me to tell you right away. And Libby was just really hoping that Nora would come with them because really they've never been apart. Yep. Uh, Nora reveals that she was, that she got offered to interview for the editing mm-hmm. job, like Charlie's yep. job. And so Libby is like, well, that's your dream and you have to do it. And they just kind of come to this conclusion that their lives are going to be separate yep. now. That, you know, Nora's staying in New York and Libby's moving to North Carolina. And that this is going to be what they have to deal with. Charlie ends up asking Nora once everyone's asleep, the girls are tucked in if she's up for a walk. And Libby is like, she sure is. Take her. Get rid of her. (laughs) And when he, they're outside and she compares Charlie to the way that her mom felt about New York. She said less like I'm powerless in an uncaring world and more like, Everything is new and shiny and undiscovered. Charlie says when they've reached this gazebo on their walk, he said, I think we need to consider an alternate ending. And Nora's immediately like, for the book? Like, we already sent her those notes. Like, we can't change the ending now. And he's like, no, 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 not for Frigid. He starts saying, you know, we can take turns visiting each other once a month, maybe. And then... When you're able, you come here for the holidays. When you can't, I get my sister and her husband to fly out so then I can get up to New York and we'll video call and email and text as much as possible. And Nora's like, this isn't going to work. Like you said it yourself. Long distance doesn't work. Charlie's like, it's never been us. You know, they're talking about how maybe they're the exception. So this is the part that I dog eared um, because I mean anything Taylor Swift reference my like mind immediately goes absolutely yes they're going back and forth talking about long distance and like maybe like this will work and she's just said that she'd take a swift beheading over that so she you know is talking about like the heartbreak that the long distance would take like of them going back and forth never really like being fully together and she just says like that she'd take a swift beheading over that death by a thousand paper cuts every mm-hmm. time. <laughs> like I can't like read it without being like swift. A thousand death cuts. By a thousand cuts. Yep. That um, was intentional. Like it had to be. Had to be. Um, Emily Henry, are you a Taylor Swift fan? I think she is. Proud of you. If so. Has to be, right? Yep. Who's not? Don't answer that. Everybody <laughs> is a Taylor Swift fan. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> you know, rewrite this ending. And not only did I dog ear it for like the lovely Taylor Swift 
reference, but also, you know, Nora, like, describes their ending, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that it's going to fizzle out. Like, one day she's just going to go home from North Carolina and just remember this hot man that she hooked up with, right? Like, that that's going to be her ending. And I just like that Charlie is like, no. Like, I said no. That you're going to have to do better than that. Like, you're... Like, I need notes on that ending by Friday. He's not going to take what the ending that she said as their ending. Exactly. And so Libby and Nora talk about, too, like, even though Nora live, will live in the city, the same stars are above them. So once a week, they'll get on the phone and just look up at the stars and know that they're looking at the same sky. Have a little moment together. Then leads us to this wonderful party that Libby helped host, um... The town is bumping. Yep. Sunshine Falls has turned into a hot spot. There's, you know, string lights everywhere, dance floors set up. Mug and Shot has turned into like a little soda shop. Just a lot of fun. Charlie's dad makes a note that like he has never seen him like this. Like he has lived his life alone and buried in books and kind of a recluse. And these last few weeks have really opened him up. Nora's getting ready. She has to go home. She has to go back to New York. And they have this moment where they acknowledge that the fairy tale is kind of coming crashing down. And like this, while every romantic comedy trope has been hit, is not actually a romantic comedy. And things don't just happen to work out. She said a week ago, I liked you so much. I would have wanted to try to make this work. But now I think I might love you too much for that. She's, you know, surprised by it, but he said, of course, I love you. If I loved you any less, I'd be trying to convince you that you could be happy here. You have no idea how badly I wish I could be enough. And it broke my heart. Two million pieces. They basically acknowledged that they're glad that they had their moment, even if it didn't last as long as they wanted it to. Fast forward, they're back in New York. Nora just had her interview and Libby's waiting for her outside the end of Libby's time in New York. Uh, so they go out to dinner for one of their favorite places, with Brendan and the girls. You know, they just have their last little time in New York. Of course, Libby makes a list of things she has to do before they move. Then November finally comes and Libby and the family is are officially moving to North Carolina. You know, Nora watches as the U-Haul drives away. Definitely a sad moment because it's a... Uh, the first time that they've ever really been that far apart for so mm-hmm. long. Um, they're both crying and it's just a, a sentimental moment. Libby drives away and it's not even like, what, 30 seconds and Libby already calls her. And it's like, oh, I miss you already. Yep. <laughs> she just says, you know, no matter where we go, our love will stretch out to hold us. And that's that makes me feel like everything will be okay. I love it so much. Now, we jump ahead a little bit more. Libby's left. Uh, Nora's in New York starting her editing job. And we jump ahead to December 12th. At 1120, she makes her way over to Freeman Books. So it's the one day a year she takes off of work. So when she started at the new publishing company, she immediately took it off. And she talks about how like the learning curve of her job is brutal, but it's like invigorating and exciting to have this kind of experience again. So She has this kind of sharp ache that's saying, you know, Charlie should be here. And she doesn't avoid thinking about him, even if it hurts. It's just like, she said it's like remembering one of her favorite books. 
11.45. She's still two blocks away. Her phone vibrates. She read Libby's message and it said, happy birthday. And they both send it, you know, as if they're talking to their mom, happy birthday. Libby goes, oh, did you get my present yet? Nora's like, since when do we do presents for mom's birthday? And she's like, since we have to be apart for it? She's like, well, I didn't get you anything. (laughs) And she said, that's fine. You can owe me. You haven't gotten yours yet? She said, no. At Freeman's already? She said in about three seconds. So she goes inside and she heads straight for the romance shelves. She said this year she'll buy two copies of whatever she gets and mail one to Libby. Or just take it with her when she visits for the holidays and for her number three's birth. So she's walking through the spots. Oh, yeah. So... I'm going to like tear up just like reading it because I'm a I'm a sap and I love a good love story. But like Libby ends their conversation, too, by saying, like, I'll let you go, but send a pic when your present gets there. And like I already said, like I paused to be like, oh, my gosh, Libby should run the bookstore. This is when I like paused. Yeah. And I like turned to Ryan. And I was like, if her present is what I think it is, like, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. At this point, I was just like so desperate to find out if the ending was what I thought it was going to be. And I was just like racing through it. And so she's wandering through the shelves and she feels like she can hear her mom and feel her mom in the bookstore. So there's a couple of people kind of milling around and all of a sudden there's someone else reaching for like a book at the exact same moment. And some people would blurt out sorry, but she lets out like an ugh, like kind of sound and neither of them let go of the book. And she spins around, unwilling to back down. And then her heart stops. It doesn't stop it like she's alive. (laughs) And this is what they mean. Like all of the writers, the thousands of writers who have tried to describe the sensation of following the trail of your life for years, only to smack into something that changes it forever. And this sensation just pulls through and Charlie's there and he just says, Stevens, I just, my heart, my heart, I can't do it. Like, I'm just over the moon. Right. I can't stop smiling, even reading about it now. I know. And she just breathes out, like, what are you doing here? And, you know, he just doesn't know what answer to start out with. And then it like clicks, like, Libby, you're my, you're my present. And uh, he just says, in a way. She says, in what way? He said, good books is under new management. And so Nora's trying to like clear the fog and kind of understand what's happening. And like, oh, your sister came through. And Charlie's like, nope, yours did. Ah. And right, Nora's still like trying to understand. She's just like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. He said, three weeks ago, I was at the shop and our family showed up and she goes, our family? And he said, Sally, Clint, Libby. And they brought a PowerPoint. (laughs) And she's like, (laughs) like a PowerPoint? And he was like, it was very organized. You would have fucking loved it. We'll try and email you a copy. It's great. (laughs) She said, I don't understand. How are you here? And I had this tabbed because I just love it so much. And it says they put together a list, 12 steps to reunite soulmates, which, by the way, involved multiple Jane Austen quotes. Not sure if that was Libby or dad, but what I'm getting at is they made some compelling points. And so um, the tears come back for Nora and she's like such as. And I just love his response. Like, 
such as I'm desperate to see your Peloton in real life. (laughs) And I need to know if your mattress is worth the hype. And then he's like, most importantly, I'm so fucking in love with you, Nora. Aww. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Right. Um, And then, so he just kind of explains, you know, more of like the reasons why, like, you know, that his dad graduated with honors from physical Mm -hmm. therapy, his dad's words, and that Libby's good, that they're, you know, Manhattan destitute, but North Carolina rich. You know, Nora's quick to say, I thought your mom said that, like, the bookstore wouldn't be run by anybody except somebody Mm -hmm. in the family. And Charlie looks at Nora and his expression is serious and just says, you know, I think she's hopeful Libby won't be outside the family forever. So cute. It's so cute. Yes. And so this is their ending. You know, he moves back to New York, gets another editing job. And here they are. They'll have a lot of fun being city people where they're both happy. That's where they're they're meant to be. I just love it so much. I love it. And it ends with, you know, they're saying I love you and... Um, like, I love you, Nora. I think I love everything about you. And she's like, even my Peloton. And they just kind of go back and forth. The fact that I check my email after work hours. And he's like, just makes it easier to share Bigfoot erotica without having to walk across the room. Just like funny things. And she goes, what about my bloodlust? And he said, that might be my favorite thing. Be my shark, Stevens. <laughs> and she's like, I already was and I always have been. It's so cute. And at the end, he says, you know, I know I can read you like a book. So cute. Which, like, it's so cheesy, but I just ate this shit up. I love it. And there is one more short little epilogue where we fast forward to six months later. And so the six months later, there, there's this party happening And from, like, an outsider, it could be a bunch of different things, like, you know, that they could be celebrating. It talks about how the man who we know is Charlie has a little velvet box that's empty in his pocket because she swore once she would get married that she would pick off the ring. Yep. So it's just tying everything together in a neat little bow. And, yeah. What I liked about it, though, too, is, like, you know, you were Nora, right? And you read, like, the last page or the last story, like, the last chapter. Like, if you were to read this epilogue, like, you wouldn't really know exactly what happened. Like, there's not really, like, that's still, like, very general because it doesn't say, like, Nora and Charlie lived happily ever after. Yeah, and, like, when you read as someone, like I mentioned earlier, who used to be a last page reader, like, what you would have read is... You know, someone saying, for anyone who wants it all, may you find something that is more than enough. And she wonders whether what comes next would ever live up to the expectations. She doesn't know you never can. And she turns the page anyway. And it's such like a... I First of all, I'm really glad that I dropped that habit because I would I ruined a lot of books for myself growing up. Um, but <laughs> I do love that it... Like, everything's just tied together so perfectly and... All of the, like, potential tropes and, I don't know, I just, man, do I love a grumpy sunshine romance. I really do. (laughs) I think it's so cute. But, yeah. That is my life. 
All right, we ready to discuss Let's do our, our songs. songs. I'm so excited. Okay, let me pull up my lyrics because I have I have a lot. So, Daylight. I felt like this was a perfect choice because it really, I think, highlights the, the past history that Norris had with love and how moving forward, like, everything looks different in the light. And so when she said, like, my love was as cruel as the cities I lived in, everyone looked worse in the light... I just felt like that was immediately taken back to Nora's like immediately failed relationships, the romance trope in the opposite direction. You know, luck of the draw only draws the unlucky. And so I became the butt of the joke. I've been sleeping so long in a 20 year dark night where she's never really had the expectations and the experiences. The one thing too was the thought of them if they had done long distance it's the I can still see it all in my head back and forth from New York sneaking in your bed. I once believed love would be burning red, but it's golden. Like daylight. And it's less about the song and more about the outro for me. So the part that I tabbed when we were talking earlier was from the Dusty's book, the chapter one, where it said they called her the shark, but she didn't mind the name fit. For one thing, sharks could only swim forward. You know, never looked back, was pre um, predicated on rules, many of which ease her conscious. If she looked back, she'd see a trail of blood moving forward. All there was to think about was hunger. And so the outro to me is Nora. I want to be defined by the things that I love, not the things that I hate, not the things that I'm afraid of, not the things that haunt me in the middle of the night. I just think that you are what you love. And so that to me was the culmination of Nora having the nickname of the shark, being known for the things that she hated, being such a hard ass, the nightmares of her mom that would haunt her in the middle of the night, being so scared to lose everything and lose control of everything. And instead, just embracing this moment of love and choosing to be defined by that rather than being defined by these like cutthroat parts of her career. So that is why I chose Daylight. I stand by this. I love, I love this song oh, so yeah. much for this book. I think that's so. <laughs> like, if this was a Hallmark movie, that song would yeah, need 100%. to be in it. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. I love that song so much, and no, I think it fits Thank for you. sure. I'm so excited to hear yours because we have, like, we named this podcast like Loki off of a Harry Styles song, and this is our fifth episode, and we are just now featuring a Harry Styles song, but. It's just because Taylor has like more in her discography, I feel like, that just, you know, has more nuance that can fit mm -hmm. certain situations. But so, yes, I picked Carolina by Harry Styles. Mm -hmm. This is one of my ultimate favorite Harry it. Styles songs. I love, I love this song so much. This song instantly popped in my head, mostly because one line. Like, I love the line in it that's like, she's got a book for every situation. Like, to me, like, this song is just like my obvious choice because of like so many totally. different lines. But definitely, like, she's got a book for every situation, gets in parties without invitation. How could you ever turn her down? So this whole verse just makes me think of, like, something like Charlie would write about Oh, I love Nora. that. You know, like, like, how would I tell her that she's all I think about? Well, you know, I just guess she just found out. And then even, like, the first line. So, like, the Sunshine Falls in Asheville is North Carolina. So, like, she's got a family in Carolina. Mm -hmm. You know, now, like, Nora has a family in yep. Carolina. And I just, like, think of, like, Charlie writing it, too. Like, you know, so far away, but she says, I remind I her of home. That. Feeling so, like, oh, so far from home. Like, 
you know, Harry doesn't have as many lyrics as like yeah. Taylor does, but but I feel I love that um, you picked a song that would have been from Charlie's perspective. Like this, it definitely fits. Yeah, and so just, but definitely like just the verse. Like she's got a book for every situation. Like that whole verse, I'm just like, yep, this is like Charlie talking about um, Nora. Just see him like singing the song or like writing it, you know, as his like authorness, but. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is one of my favorite songs, and I'm glad it's going to this book because Yay. I love it. Oh, two good ones. Two good ones. Yeah. I know two of my favorite songs yep. for sure. Daylight in Carolina. Oh man. All right. And how funny, like, um, like you picked Carolina, mm-hmm. like yep. Swift, you know? And like <laughs> Harry has a song Daylight. It's just it's funny, like, little, you know, that they... <laughs> little parallels. <laughs> a little something-something. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. We ready to go into our ratings? Book ratings. So um, we rate in... It's like a five-star, you know, five-star rating, but it's our version. So we rate in To the Moon and to Saturn. So um, I gave this book four and a half moons. I really liked it. I think it's cute. Honestly, for me, it's kind of hard to rate romance because I find almost all romance very, like, like she literally says in the book, like tropes are there for a reason. And all of them are fairly predictable for the most part in terms of romance. So I base it less off of like, oh, did I predict predict the ending of the plot and more about like how much I just enjoyed reading it. Um, So for me, four and a half moons was what I gave this one. Yeah, I did four Saturns. Ooh. Yep. Um, definitely going off vibes <laughs> and, you know, like Britt said, like, you know, was it written the best or anything? You know, we could argue different yeah. things, but would I recommend this to people? Yes. Is it so cute? Yes. It's like a feel-good book. And um, if you, like, as the book title says, like, book lovers, if you like mm-hmm. books... Like, it's a fun one to read, too, because of, like, the references and just different um, quirky things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Definitely. But yeah, we would we highly recommend. recommend this one. Yeah. Those are our ratings on Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Um, we hope that you guys enjoyed the episode and also enjoyed the book. We would love to hear your song and your rating. So if you want, you can join us in our Discord for that. And... Or even, you know, on Instagram, whatever works for you. But we are now going to announce our first of two spooky season books because we have two episodes coming out in October. So, Hannah, do you want to announce the book that we're reading first? Yes. So the first of our spooky series is going to be The Only One Left by Riley Sager. I am so excited. Me too. I have not. No. Like I said, you guys, we have a Discord server. So if you want to join the little community, chat about the books, give your book recommendations, kind of chit chat over there. You can follow us on TikTok, on Instagram. And if you could rate and review our podcast, we'd be very appreciative of that as well. Yes. So please um, interact with us on social media. We love that you are listening. Um, We hope you enjoy our songs and the books as much as we do. Um, We are always looking for book suggestions, so please uh, let us know that too. 
um, we want to read what you're reading. Exactly. And our Spotify playlist will be updated a couple of days after the podcast is released, just so we have people, or just so we give people a few days to kind of catch up. And we will catch you guys on the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye.